You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hi, you're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, episode number 123. As I've mentioned before, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, which according to Wikipedia, has been observed in May in the United States since 1949, reaching millions of people in the U.S. through the media, local events, and screenings. And according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, approximately one in five adults in the U.S. experiences mental illness in a given year. That is a large number. So today kicks off a month long of topics relating to mental health. Now, I know this is the Blended Family Podcast, and you might be wondering why I would decide to dedicate so many shows to mental health, and here's why. I get emails from you every day with questions about how to deal with someone in your life that struggles with it, whether it's your partner, your ex, your kids. Many of you are wondering how to get along with those difficult people in your life and how to help them. So today we're going to start with something a little different. I have two interviews back-to-back from listeners who are here to share their personal stories of abuse. I've separated them so that you don't have a really long episode, but you'll see both of them. Episodes 123 and 124 are being released to you at the same time. And the reason I decided to put them together like this is because both women have similar stories and they both met in our Facebook group, made a connection there, and then they both reached out to me, which to me is super great. That's what that group is for. So if you're not already a member of our private Facebook group, you can join at blendedfamilypodcast.com forward slash group. Later this month, I will have an expert who will unpack some different types of mental illness for us. Plus, I will have an interview with an author of a book about parental alienation, which I will be giving away a copy of. So if you're not already a part of my list, you can join that at blendedfamilypodcast.com forward slash subscribe. Whenever I decide to do a giveaway, I always choose someone on my list. And I will be skipping the mental health topic for my Mother's Day special because I have something else for you that day, and I think mothers should be celebrated. So that's kind of the month in view for you. I've got no further announcements. Please enjoy this interview with an amazing member of our community, Lisa Page. Hello, I have joining me one of our own listeners, Lisa Page. She's also a member of our private Facebook group, which if you're not familiar, you can find at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash group. Lisa reached out to me because she wanted to share her own story in the hopes that maybe it can help one of you. And it is a story of abuse from her previous marriage, not the one she's in currently. She's learned a lot by being in an abusive marriage, and she's here to share all of that with us today. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, and thank you for touching on this topic. Of course. So, Lisa, you and I spoke on the phone previously so that I could hear your story, and I want to thank you for being brave enough to come here in such a public place to share your personal struggles. 
Of course, all the listeners don't know who you are, so please go ahead and give them a little background on you and your family and your blended family. All right. Uh, my name is Lisa. I am a school teacher, a mother of three. I was married previously for 18 years um, and then divorced a few years ago. And now I'm remarried, and now I have a blended family of my three children who are 11, 15, and 17. And I have a stepdaughter who lives with us as well who's also 15. I also have adult stepchildren, but the four of them are under our roof. Great. So that's a challenge. It's new. It's um, We're learning. <laughs> We're all learning all the time, I think. So yes. I know that we have some listeners who are currently in an abusive relationship. And so what's great about you being here is that you show us there are possibilities, that no one has to be stuck in an unhappy marriage. You got out and you're thriving. But before we talk about how you had the strength to do that, why don't you first tell us about what happened in that first marriage? When did the abuse start? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I got married um, after college. I thought I did all the right things. You know, I was old enough. I I was stable, all of those things. And I had just became a Christian, um, not to down Christianity at all, but I had just became a Christian. And I um, got involved with this man through my sister, actually, and he was a very hardcore Christian and um, fell in love with him. And everything was okay, um, even though in the dating there were some red flags that I just didn't see. I, To me, I, I thought that he had been the Christian his whole life, and he knew how I was supposed to do this. So I kind of looked to him for guidance and how to be this Christian wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't long into the marriage when I realized um, there was a problem. And I spent the first, I would say, four years of that marriage thinking the problem was me trying to fix me, trying to be what I thought I was supposed to be. And the hard thing about an emotionally abusive situation, it's just very elusive. It's hard to explain. It's harder, even harder to make somebody else understand what it is. It's hard to identify it yourself. Um, It's just a constant intimidation, shame, critical, that constantly makes you feel less than. Or for me, in my situation, it was... um, where he wasn't able to view me as a a person separate from him. He viewed me as an extension of him. And because of that, um, to try to control everything that was done. And I've learned since then, through all the books that I've read, which I have some wonderful resources that I have read, there are names for these things. And for instance, I would, I would feel crazy because, you know, he would, say that he hadn't said something he said or or whatever and it's called crazy making it's a real thing where you just feel off balance all the time mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of of shame um I was isolated from my family um a lot of jealousy just a few red flags for me like when we would be on vacation and I would want to read a book and relax and he would just be jealous of the book that I was spending my time with the book and just things that just kind of are bizarre but when someone asks you what's wrong with it It's just so hard to explain. It's just that constant tense feeling, constant shame, criticism. I heard a lot of, you're too sensitive. It was just a joke, just to deflect his own behavior. It would be that I was too sensitive. Um, A lot of excuses for him. Um, Projection of his own feelings onto me. Um, Something he would struggle with, he projected onto me as if I was struggling with it. Mm -hmm. A lot of minimizing 
of the things that were going wrong. And then another thing that I found out was quite common um, when he would misbehave or act up or to a point where he knew it was wrong, he would say, okay, I'm sorry, press the reset button. You can never bring it up again. I said, I'm sorry, it's done. Right. So instead of taking accountability for your own action, it was, okay, I did that, but now it's done. You can't bring it up anymore. Mm-hmm. And for me in my situation, um, he was diagnosed with a mutant gene type thing, which is a vitamin deficiency Um later on when I had left, but then he wanted to make the whole entirety of the abuse because he was depressed, and I was supposed to accept that and just go on and stay in the marriage because he excused his behavior with that diagnosis. I don't think that's everybody's story, but that was my story with that. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Did I explain it well? No, enough? no, no. I would No, you're fine. I wanted to make sure you were done. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's a classic sign of an abuser, right? To make the victim feel like everything's their fault. Uh, that is extremely common. And so many people in abusive relationships stay, like you did, maybe out of fear, out of convenience, or even out of obligation. So tell us why you felt the need to stay for so long. You were obviously unhappy for some time. So what were the reasons that you held on so long? Well, number one, um, we were very involved in a church, and I was told by counselors and church clergy um, that I had no biblical reason for a divorce. And I believe that. Um, looking back, I realized that the marriage covenant that I had made had long ago been broken because he didn't love me like Christ loved the church, like he was supposed to. Um, but that was a lot of it for me. I didn't think it was an option. That, that it wasn't even something I could do. I also came from a, a a single mom home, and I knew how much work it would take to raise babies by myself. And I knew exactly what I would be getting into, and I just kept thinking the good outweighs the bad. I need to hold on. And two, with the abuse cycle, it's you, you're in it. It's terrible. It's awful. But then it subsides, and you convince yourself it wasn't that bad. If you can like picture like a wave pool, when the waves come and it's awful, and you're drowning. You're barely breathing, but then it stops and you, you you forget how bad it was and you convince yourself you can do it. You convince yourself it wasn't that bad. I'm just going to hold on. You know, I can, I can find a way to be healthy in this. And some people can, but I couldn't. Yeah. So what were some signs that finally told you that you needed to make a change? Were you noticing behavioral issues with the kids? Were you noticing some personality changes within yourself? And I'm also wondering... If this was a gradual shift, or was there like an aha moment for you when you knew that you had to make a move? Well, I would say yes to both of those things. Um, part of it for me was time of life. I was a stay-at-home mother, and in that era when my job was to be at home with my kids, and that was my full-time job, and there was no time for anything else, The it was he didn't act up as much because that was my role. That's what he wanted me to do. As the kids got bigger and that role changed is when I saw more control and more of um, kind of putting me under him all the time. He didn't want me to go out and work. He didn't want me to meet with friends, didn't want those kind of things. You know, but when you have young kids, really, for me as a stay-at-home mom, that was all I did. So as the kids got older and my role changed, I think the abuse escalated because he wasn't able to handle the fact that I wasn't at home all the time and that wasn't my role all the time anymore. 
So that was part of it. Um, as my kids got older and I tried to teach them to be independent and do things like their own laundry and um, pack their lunches, he would say to me, you know, that's your job. And then my kids would say, that's your job. And I started seeing that in them. And I realized that, you know, I was staying, quote unquote, for them. But as I was staying there in that situation, their respect for me was dwindling. And if I wanted a healthy relationship with my children, I needed to change my situation or I wasn't going to have a relationship with them at all. And that was huge for me. An aha moment for me, I was um, in the car listening to a radio program on Christian radio and this author came on and her name is Leslie Vernick. It's V-E-R-N-I-C-K. And she wrote a book called The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. And she was listing like 10 indicators. And I sat there that day in the car and listened to her and just bawled. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that that is me. That is my situation. So I got her book. I joined her group. I um, read everything she had to read, heard everything she had to say. And she really encouraged you in your marriage if, to identify if it was emotionally abusive and how to do that. And had some really good tools to help you with that. And then until I had a plan, either a plan to stay, but stay healthy. Mm-hmm. or if that didn't work, to leave. And so I began that plan. I, I did the steps, and it was a, over a year process um, that I took. And at the end of that year, I realized that staying healthy was not an option for me. And even though I knew it would be utter hell to divorce this man because I knew what it'd be like, I had to, to basically to save my life and to save the life of my children. Yeah, and a couple of things you said there. The first thing, you know, yes, abusers will try to isolate you so that you don't have friends and family and people to go to because they know that those people are probably going to encourage you possibly to leave. So they try to isolate you from everybody else. Um, and, And definitely with the children, yeah. I mean, I always tell people to, you know, you think you want to stay for your children, but you don't realize that, you know, you're doing a lot of harm sometimes by staying. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the kids really, what they really want is to have a happy mom and dad. And so um, it's really good that you finally decided to leave and that you, you know, you had that aha moment that that came on for a purpose that day so that you can listen to it. And yeah. So when you finally decided to leave your husband, what was that like telling him? We, We know that he's an abusive man. So how did he react? And did that experience teach you anything that you might be able to share with others who are in that position right now? Well, yes. And first, let me back up a little bit and say, if, if you were to meet my husband or if you knew him, you wouldn't know. I mean, he's very charismatic and he looks good and he smells good. He comes across as very involved in the kid's life and all those things. But it, it didn't take much looking deeper to see that there was a problem. And I, and I did have people confront me on that when I was in that marriage. But to most people who would see us in the schools or church or whatnot, you know, everything was great, they thought. So just to speak, if there's anyone out there in that situation, because it's not that he's this awful man to everybody all the time. And a lot of people think they're wonderful because they have that kind of charismatic personality a lot of times. So just know that just because it looks good, it doesn't have to, it is, might not be good. Um, um, so where was I going with that? Uh, well, that was great. And let me just say something about that too, is that, um, 
I think that's very common also with abusers yeah. that it's it's a lot of that is behind closed doors. Um, and especially if you're dealing with a narcissist, you know what I mean? They right. they only let certain people see see the ugly side of themselves. And so um, right. but yeah, what we were going to go is um, did it teach telling. you anything telling him telling what was the experience like telling him that you were leaving? And, you know, would you do you think you did that the right way or, or did you learn something from it that maybe you handled it the wrong way? Or what would you say about that? I think I did some things right and I did some things wrong. I don't know if there's a right way to do it. Mm -hmm. Somehow, and, and looking back at that time in my life, kind of it's a blur, but I ended up seeking out a doctor who was specialized in narcissism. Um, he was never diagnosed with narcissism. However, through this doctor, um, after I met with her, she said, um, you need to leave. You need to tell him not in person and not alone because you would be in danger. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know. What would have happened if I would have told him face-to-face, -face, but I didn't do that. I had a, a planned vacation um, to visit my sister, and I decided it was on the other side of the country, and I decided that when I was there with my kids is when I was going to tell him. And I told him over the phone, and he had sensed my withdrawal and what was going on, and he, he said he knew what was coming. And at first he said God had prepared him for it, and he was sorry, and that lasted for about two days. Mm. And then it quickly shifts to, this is all your fault. You're going to lose your kids, no accountability. And that's when the, the battle began. So I think I did right by not telling him face-to-face, mm -hmm. -face, definitely. I don't know. I can tell you that when I told my children, it was the single most painful thing I've ever done in my life to the point that I just collapsed on the floor after they were out of the room and I, I didn't want to ever get up. It was so painful. And, and that started a very painful process with him. It was, um, if you're in this situation, the laws, the way they're set up, it just does not help when you're dealing with an abusive person. You have to stay in the same home in a lot of states with that abuser through the process or you lose your kids because you've abandoned them. Oh, God. So, so for me, it was staying in a home with the man who one minute he'd look at me and say, you're going to lose your kids. And the next minute he'd force me into a hug and say, I'm going to show you that I love you back and forth. And it was it was completely crazy making. I don't know how I made it through that time of my life other than by the grace of God. Um, but... Um, I will say this as well, document everything because that's what I did. And because I documented everything continually, I was able to leave the house. I was able to maintain custody of my children. And eventually I was able to get granted permission to leave the state with them, which is highly unlikely to happen. Yeah. But that, go ahead. document, document, document. Okay, good. Um, and that sounds like a horrific story. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Can I ask you? Uh, how did the kids react when you told them? Did they did they see the abuse or were they kind of blind to it? They did. My older girls did. Um, but they still reacted with, with how you would react as a child. How is this going to affect my life? They were devastated. They hated me for a time. Uh, and then um, when they got back with their dad, because they didn't keep them from him, I eventually brought them back and um, tried to go through the right steps for them. And they were told I had an affair. They were told I was crazy. I was alcoholic, all these things. Meanwhile, I wasn't acting the way I normally had acted. So they didn't know what to believe. So there was a time when all three of my kids hated me. And it, it took one by one, all of them kind of saw things a little clearer. And um, I tried very hard not to speak negative of their father in front of them. I've not always been perfect in that. I have said things I shouldn't have said, but I have 
for the most part, maintained the right attitude and positive communication, but they see things, which which doesn't make it better because what they see is ugly and you don't want that for them either. But yeah, I've helped study with that and they have all come around and now I have them all with me and we have a good relationship. Um, they're going to have to go through their own stuff. They have scars. Absolutely. And it is funny how as kids get older, without you having to say anything, and you're right, none of us are perfect. Sometimes we let things slip out. But overall, if you do the right thing and you don't run your mouth and you don't say negativity about the other parent, the kids usually just see it with clear eyes on their own. I mean, they all do. They get to a certain age and everything just clicks. And so... um and he probably was saying stuff too, you know, uh, and, he and was. yeah. And so you, you were the bigger person and it worked out in your favor. Let's talk about what happened after the divorce. We know that people don't always change. Sometimes they do. What about your ex? Is he still the same person? And if so, what's it like dealing with him now? You know, I can say this. I can say that since the divorce, every question I ever had about things, I, the way I thought he felt about me has been validated Every, every, at every turn, the choice he's made has confirmed my choice to leave. Um, so it has been bad, but at the same time, if it wasn't so bad, I would doubt myself why I left in the first place. Yeah. So it's been awful, but if it wasn't, I'd wonder why I left. Yeah. So I never have to doubt myself. Um, it's, it's a hard process. Currently, I have them in another state. He has visitation, which um, he makes very difficult. He's appealing um, the court's decision to let them move with me. I don't think, have any reason to believe he'll win that appeal, but he, he can't accept the fact that it didn't go his way, so he's going to keep going. So legal cost will never stop. <laughs> you know, it will never stop. However, I'm in a new home, a new marriage. I don't have to deal with it every day. My kids have stability. And the biggest thing for me, and the best story out of the whole thing, which I didn't expect, I didn't expect the timing of it. I wouldn't advise anybody to seek a new marriage so soon. But for me, I had mourned my marriage so long ago, and I had been lonely for so long. And I believe God led me to my husband. I, he was a a man that I knew 25 years ago as a friend, a family friend, and I ran into him and he was leaving the kind of the same situation. He was married for 20 years. Um, so we met and we started talking. And at first I thought, you know, I'd never date him or whatever. But the one thing that I remember that stood out with me is we would talk about our divorces. And he said, you know, I just want to make sure my ex-wife is okay. And I'm like, that says a lot about who you are as a man. And that's when I kind of opened up my heart. And it's just been a total blessing just to go from, because when you're in a relationship with a narcissist or an abusive person, you're never truly loved for who you are. And you feel that. So now to be in a marriage where I'm loved, it just, it's like being on cloud nine. It's, I mean, we're going to have our difficulties, but the difference is night and day. Yeah. So and especially when you lived for so long dealing yeah. with that and you got almost numb to it and used to it after a while. So now I'm sure, and that was my next question for you was, I was going to ask you about the blessings that came your way. So um, obviously you've got a great marriage now. You have somebody that treats you right, treats you like you deserve to be treated and your children see that. So you're modeling that. Um, exactly. <laughs> are there any other blessings? Like what about you? What about the way that you feel? You must feel so much better. 
You know, I look back over the course of my marriage and I went to my family. I went to pastors. I went to my ex's family. I tried to get somebody to help, somebody to rescue me. And I realized through this process that I needed to rescue me. I was the only one that could pull myself out of that situation. And there were people who I found out now who did go to my ex-husband and confront him, but they couldn't help me. I had to make that choice. Yeah. Which is... Go ahead. Oh, no. So for me, it's just the strength of going from, you know, living in that victim mentality. And then I was just emotionally unattached and going through all those stages. And I was just waiting to be rescued. And and it took me going through it, doing the work. Um, And I hope and I pray that I can help other people in my situation because it is. It will take every ounce of strength you have in your body to get through that. But you will get through it. And there is hope. There's, And it doesn't have to be a hope of a new marriage for you, but there's hope of a life of freedom, of love, of stability, where you're not constantly being put underneath somebody and you can live and breathe. And I like to say exhale. It's there. It can happen. Yes. There's always beauty after pain. And sometimes, you know, or all the time, I should say, our biggest growth comes during our most painful times. And so, at least people can hold on to that. You know, a painful time is not going to be easy. It's going to be horrible maybe, but you mm-hmm. have to look forward to at the end of that, a new life for yourself and, you know, some great experiences. Um, so uh, let's see. Well, let's talk about this. Um, everything that we go in, in life, there's always a lesson to learn. And like I said, the more painful experiences have the bigger lessons. So, Um, tell us what was the lesson or lessons that you learned? I know you said that you started to learn that you needed to do for yourself. Are there any other lessons that you learned from this experience? Well, also, um, people who are abusers are attracted to people with certain qualities. And I realized that there was a reason my ex-husband was attracted to me. I had a vulnerability. I had weaknesses in me that I really needed to address and, and self parent and heal so that I um, won't get into the same situation again. Um, so there is, there was a lot of self growth in that. And I, I kind of use the analogy of explaining, um, you know, when I married my husband, just like anybody, I had my wounds and I call them like soft spots on a baby's head. And, and I think as a husband, you have a, you have an opportunity to, to protect that and to grow your wife and protect her, or you can do what my ex did. And he just took his thumbs right in those soft spots and Mm. used those to control me. So now looking back at that, I can look at myself, I can look at my wounds, I can identify um, why he was attracted to me, why I got myself into that situation, and hopefully make those corrections, not only for me, but as a mother, to be a role model for my children so they can grow and be strong and confident women who don't, or my son, who, who don't end up in a situation like that. Absolutely. So... Lisa, if you could speak to someone right now who is in an abusive relationship and they feel stuck, lost, and helpless, what would you tell them? Well, first I would say look up that book from Leslie Vernick because she lays out a safety plan and there are things that you need to begin to do. Um, For instance, I, I did speak to a lawyer a year before I even filed for divorce and found out in my state what that looked like, what I had to do. I put a bank account in my name so I could establish that and a little bit of credit. And just um, there are safety steps you can do to set yourself up so that when you do make that step, you're ready for it. Um, or 
you can go through it and, and figure out that you can find a way to stay, but stay healthy. So educate yourself, um, get resources. And I know it's, I was afraid to have, you know, books laying around with certain topics on it, but there's so much even online. Just educate yourself about abuse, um, about your laws in your state, because you need to know you have a lawyer, but you need to be your own lawyer. You need to know what you're doing and surround yourself with people who can support you establish that support system. But there is hope. Don't give up. Don't think you're stuck. That's great advice. Now, that book by Leslie Vernick, what was the name of that book? The Emotionally Abusive Marriage. Okay. I'm going to add that to the show notes so that people can... There's that one. And then another book that I read that was highly inspiring to me, it was called Drawn to the Rhythm by Sarah Hall. And it was her story of leaving an abusive type marriage. Um, And she actually became an Olympic rower, which is um, inspiring. And that's more of an inspiring story. But it does also talk about some of the drawbacks in the legal system. Well, that's great. I'll add that one then as well. So people, And then the other book that I had posted on the Facebook page, Will I Ever Be Free of You by Carol McBride, Carol with a K. It takes you step by step through the process and what you need to know if you end up divorcing or going through the legal system um, and really how to seek out a lawyer who knows how to handle emotionally abusive cases. Well, great. Um, that is really good to have resources for people to turn to. So that's wonderful. Um, I know that by you coming on the show to share your story, you have helped someone else, probably many people. Your story is an inspiration, and I admire you for putting it out there for us to learn from and gather hope. So thank you again for speaking with me today. Well, thank you. And if anybody wants to private message me just to talk or anything, please do so. I'd love to um, talk or help any way I can. Absolutely. So listeners, if you would like to reach out to Lisa, whether to say hi, share your story, or ask her a question, she is in our Facebook group, Lisa Page. If you aren't yet a member, what are you waiting for? Come on over to blendedfamilypodcast.com forward slash group. It is free to join and you will find a growing community of men and women going through the same struggles and joys as you. We hope to see you there and please join us next time for another show. Bye. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.